I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and we have a returning guest today, Swastik Nigam, co-founder at. Winvesta Swastik was with us last year talking about Winvesta and the whole concept of international investing and of course it's been some 8 9 months since then and international investing has really 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 picked up and today we are going to actually go in depth and talk about some concepts of international investing that we couldn't do in the uh, when he was here last year so Swastik welcome back to Pesa Pesa thank you so much for doing this for our listeners thank you very much it's always a pleasure you know speaking to you and and being again on this podcast Thanks for saying. So, folks, we had done a a small room in Clubhouse. For those of you that don't know, Clubhouse is a drop-in audio app which is currently limited to iOS devices. And we had a very good session, very good room, as it's called out. And so, I want to actually now go into real more depth into what we spoke out there. A lot of questions, a lot of people were asking a, a lot of stuff. So, so I said, let's let's start with the trends, you know, because since you were here last and since today, it's been a long time. a lot has happened since then in international investing i'm sure you would have seen that traction also happened um on on winvesta and i think when we were talking at that point of time we were probably looking at people investing in the obvious things maybe an apple maybe a tesla uh, maybe a nasdaq 100 uh, fund or an etf or something sitting here in india but a lot has happened so let's let's just give our listeners that context that background as to what we're talking about what have been the trends that you've been seeing Yeah, no, and that's actually quite right, right? We were originally expecting that people are just going to stick to the fang stocks, right? Um, and uh, especially because we've got such a large, you know, user behavior with respect to them, we're large consumers of these. But to much of our surprise, um, and we started off with them with far fewer securities. We started with about 120, 130 securities. But you know, our clients kept coming back to us and saying, "Hey, you know, can you add new and new securities that they wanted to invest in?" Uh, and we said, okay, let's just open the entire universe up, right? As much as we can. So now we've got over three thousand securities, and that's so. How how easy or difficult is it for you to add to your list of what you offer to your clients? How easy or difficult is that? It's actually not too difficult. It's just a function of you know uh, being a bit careful that we're not adding, say, penny stocks, right? Uh, by default. our executing broker on the exchange has got a certain set of criteria it must have at least a billion dollars in terms of market cap it must have a certain amount of history so that is that those are some sort of singular criteria the other thing is that very very low price stocks also are something that we tend to avoid due to certain costing issues on uh, and the cost might not be that supportive to end customers in that form um but that's just the key way in which we have this um so it's not too difficult and uh, of course what does come into a little bit of the the crosshairs of not being able to do very quickly are sometimes spacs hmm. uh, because they're very young right they almost just have come on and not exactly like an ipo so we're going to talk about that but let's go back to the trend sorry i just kind of interpret you there because you know to me it was just very interesting that as a platform you started with x and now you're at what 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 30x. are the numbers that we're talking about here exactly like 30x right in terms of number wow. of securities so and, and the interest of people is still alive people are actually asking you to add on more stuff i guess absolutely and you know just like last week we had another 300 securities for example <laughs> right and this is what stocks etfs everything absolutely sir so we got about two almost two two and a half thousand sort of stocks and about 900 etfs anything uh, on the regions is this like us 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 or is it actually people are saying okay let's probably look at latam 
EMEA, Southeast, anything on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just also about different kinds of sectors. Uh, people are looking at, uh, in fact, geographical diversification is becoming increasingly uh, requested. Um, again, people think that U.S. valuations are, are very toppy right now, whereas you've got significant discount to traditional metrics with respect to many other geographies. So absolutely, you know, that's, uh, that's a clear request. And we've gone on and added a far, a very large diversification in terms of geographies, sectors, and, and uh, even specifically, you know, themes of things like silver, for example. Right? I, was, I was actually going to just come to that because I realized, you know, this, maybe my mind is just tuned to equities, equities, equities. But what about asset classes? You know, anything there, anything where people are saying that let's go for the long bond in the US, which is the safest supposedly the safest, uh, you know, GSEC in the world or anything there? Any any trends there? Yeah, so we aren't seeing a lot, I think, in going into fixed income, right? Uh, we see fixed income is not particularly in favor. And there's a lot of, you know, fund managers also who are saying, hey, don't get into fixed income, right? Like Warren Buffett stated in his recent annual shareholder letter that fixed income is possibly one of the worst asset yeah. classes you want to put money into right now. Yeah. But we are seeing other, other pieces like, you know, green, uh, you know, uh, the greening in terms of whether it's electric mobility or in fact ETS, which are which are just environmentally sensitive. Wow. Very interesting. Currency commodities, anything there? You mentioned silver. Yes. So we do silver. We see silver as in fact, you know, there's more investment now, for example, in ETFs and silver than it is in gold itself, right? Um, and that's because usually there's a bit of a beta, which is greater than one on silver uh, compared to gold and there's an expectation that inflation might be coming up. So we see that that silver has tended to perform well. Separate to that, you know, we've got uh, securities which are also on the likes of having uh, a little bit of, in fact, leverage coming through, right? Mm -hmm. We've got, for example, an interesting one, which is a Bank of Montreal micro sectors, FANG, and a 3x levered index on that, right? It's a very exotic one, but it's a very popular one, right? It's an, in fact, it's not an ETF, it's an exchange-rated note in that format. But it is, uh, so if you, of course, think of it that, hey, you know, you can't get leverage under LRS. People are thinking, okay, I can at least get a levered exposure to and the bank stocks. How, so how does this work? So you're saying you've got an index and you've got a product that takes a 3x leverage on that. How does it work? I mean, we're talking vol- volatility here, right? Exactly, we're talking volatility, and uh, and you know, if you think of the whole GameStop phenomenon, it was sort of, sort of like that. But now, by default, if you think of something like this, and you're looking at a high-performing index, this is going to prop up very quickly in the top ten, you know, daily performers when the index is 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 going upwards. So it naturally attracts a lot of in- interest. Uh-huh. Uh, so the way it works is, you know, you've got a you know, so say you put in a hundred dollars into it into the fund, the fund will have a, will add leverage through a credit line that it will, will basically enjoy. Uh, but the good thing is that you never lose your money, you know, completely, right? Or you don't turn negative, you lose your money, but you never sort of need to post margin, which is sort of disallowed under India rules. Um, so it looks exactly like an equity, which has got a very high levered balance sheet in effect. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's very exotic, man. We've gone from Apple and Tesla all the way to volatility products. Okay. Let's move on to the next question that, um, you know, that uh, we spoke about this, I guess, on the clubhouse room also. Investment sizes, right? So what I mean, 
in we've spoke about how you've expanded your product range what's been the response from from the people that are there on your platform have they also stepped up in terms of increasing their bets what what are the trends that you see out there yeah that's actually a good one right and and uh, one of these one of the factors to consider of course is the cost of just remittance itself right so it sort of starts because there's a slightly you know a non trivial fixed cost of sending money abroad it's, it starts making sense if you actually send small corpus right about 1 lakh plus So when we started out in in the early days the average account size was about 2 2 1/2000 in effect approximately but the you know once i think our clients came on they saw the platform they saw that okay it works along really well they started adding to their size and now the average account size is about 4 1/2 5 1/2000 right it's sort of really sort of been coming up at the same time you've had these younger clients coming through who are starting off with really small portfolios right less than $100 they'd sort of make a a first remittance just to see that hey all the pipes are working the money does land up in my account you see it sort of land and you've had you know and a large number of you could say 30 and below are are in that category um but and they, once they've sort of started dabbling in some of these investments they then go on and add more and more funds Nice. So yeah, those are a few trends that we see. Yeah. Folks, we'll talk about how Investor works. If you guys are wondering how the entire platform works, what's the process? Just hold on. We will get to it because you know I wanted to start with asking Swastik about all these trends that are happening. Like two of them are quite you know big to me at least. That the that the number of securities that they offer on their platform has increased and it's gone into exotic stuff also. And the second is that the bets have increased. I mean. uh swastik we're talking what 10 dollars 100 dollars all the way to 44 dollars am i right in that uh yeah so that's the account sizes and even if you look at it the average transaction size that's also been increasing right nice. so on average it started off at less than 300 400 dollars now it's touching about 800 dollars for a singular transaction right wow yeah. so that is the uh, the confidence that clients are getting with respect to investing and that's why you know they see they see some of the returns coming through uh i think one one point we missed yeah, yeah. sorry go on, go on yeah about you know the single name stocks right we as i said we said expected the fang stocks but now actually none of the fang stocks in our top 3 you've got a tesla you got a neo which is a chinese electric vehicle manufacturer how do you spell that n n e o is it n i o n i o okay right wow. and and that just points to uh, you know the exposure clients want in terms of electric mobility where domestically we've got almost no electric vehicle mobility yeah right uh, we've got riot which is a kind of a bet on blockchain and cryptocurrency riot is a company that mines bitcoin for example r i o t as in like the actual riot exactly right and riot is us listed it is it is exactly and is neo us or is asia as in hk or something or no it's it's listed in the us it's however a chinese company completely for the chinese domestic ev market right now right but it, but it has a us listing it has a us listing exactly right so these are you know very singular trends that we see there rewind that for me uh number one so uh tesla Wow, number two was Neo, and number three was Riot. I, <laughs> man, right. you know, now we've I kind of get the, the interest in crypto when EV. I had no idea that it's become that big. I mean, what? So the biggest stock in the US, actually the world right now, is still are still the Fang stocks. Right? Tesla is not broken up. It's still about what six fifty billion in market cap, right? That's right. Yeah. Oh, so uh, and 
it's still not gone up right in the top three or top five. So exactly right, and and I think that is that is a very interesting kind of phenomena because I mean, of course, if you think of Tesla, you sort of then go to the GameStop story as well, right? There was this massive bull rally for Tesla, particularly, and. Crazy. Yes, absolutely crazy, really hot. Okay, so before we uh, wrap up this first part of our episode, Swasik, tell us about fractional shares because other than the trends that we spoke about, I find fractional shares like really, really interesting. This is not the fractional shares that we have here in India, right? Because that is more related to the mergers and acquisitions. I mean, you know, if you are a Reliance shareholder for the last 20, 30 years, you would know exactly what fractional shares are, which is that, let's say that Reliance merges with XYZ company and the merger ratio is slightly off. It's not a round number. There are good chances that you might get a fraction of a share. Typically, the uh, the company rounds this off and squares that to you in cash. You know, So let's say it's a one-third ratio. It's 33.333. They'll give you 33 shares in cash and 0.3 would, sorry, 33 shares in your demand and 0.3 would be in cash. That, so that's the fractional shares that we know out here in India, right? The more traditional thing. So Asik, tell us about fractional shares from an international investing perspective. Yeah. Uh, fractional shares, I think, is one of the key pillars of the democratization of investing, right? So if you sort of think of a, of a stock like Amazon, it's over $3,000, you know, two and a half lakh rupees approximately, right? So as a small investor, you'd have almost no ability to access or buying, you know, if you had, if you couldn't do fractional shares, right? Um, what fractional shares are, you can now buy, say, 1% of one stock of Amazon for as little as $30 approximately, right? At what the current stock price is at. Um, what that does is it, it changes the nature of investing because now you don't need to worry about, hey, I need to buy you know, uh, these whole numbers of stocks. I can literally say, I want to invest $100 into Amazon, right? Or I want to invest as little as $10 into Amazon. And that works. So that is what the fractional shares are. What it does are, I'll just speak on, on the two parts, how it is on the front end in terms of the user experience and how it is in the back end, right? From a user experience, if you think of in India, we've been building up SIPs and mutual funds, and we do that in a dollar cost or a rupee cost averaged format, right? So if I just want to put in a, a thousand rupees, five thousand rupees, ten thousand rupees into a mutual fund. Similarly, now you can do this actually, but for stocks, right? You can literally say, I want to put a hundred dollars per month or a thousand dollars per month across ten stocks. And, and that just makes it far easier for you to visualize the, your investment uh, you know, basket. From a back-end point of view, right? The back-end point of view is. Uh, that you do get, in fact, what's called as the, the national best bid offer for that price. So that fraction of a share doesn't literally go to the NASDAQ or the NYSE to exchange, but the market price is observed and a portion of a stock which is held on the broker's balance sheet is you know, rehypothecated to you as the end customer. Right? So that is the way this sort of pricing really works. And, it, and that's what really democratizes the space in terms of fractional shares. Let's just take it one step further on the back end. And for me as a customer, you know, being someone who's out here in India and used to only round numbers, like 10 shares, one share, five shares of, of a Reliance or an HDFC or whoever it is. How does this work? Will my demand statement with the investor or whoever it is, will that show like 0.5 shares of whatever Tesla or, you know, let's take Berkshire Hathaway. That's one hugely priced share out there. That's the first question. How does this reflect on, on, on my DMAT? And the second question is, what about dividends, rights, splits, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So 
it will show on your on your statement as being you know that fraction of that value so you will in fact see that yes you might own 0.001 share of one you know baksha hathaway share for example right uh, of course as you you just want you to sort of be uh, be mindful that the dmat structure doesn't work like it is in india you don't have a third party quasi regulated entity which is thus holding these shares in the name of the end investor in the us it works slightly differently where the clearer is holding it on behalf of the broker dealer who is in fact then maintaining the books and records for the end customer right okay um so that is why in fact this thing is even more reasonable and and less operationally intensive than it would otherwise be if you think of it in india where you're trying to then figure out each and every fraction of a share um to answer your second question in terms of the dividends rights and you know corporate action stuff yes you do receive the you know the pro rata dividends absolutely so if you know you own half a share and there's a 1 dollar dividend you receive 50 cents in terms of the investor rights in fact you are able to participate on voting as well there is a third party provider called say which in fact provides you with a specified letter uh and you're able to go ahead and participate for that fraction of that share that you can then go ahead and exercise your your corporate rights on and last question there's no price impact of this right i mean you know for me as a customer whether i'm holding 100 shares of berkshire hathaway or 0.1 share of hathaway i still get the same price and because you know i'm just thinking that if there's a separate market maker for this and he has to do all the stuff on the background and then maybe there might be some issues in liquidity but that's not how it works right yeah that's not how it works so you would uh, as i mentioned it because the price is just being observed but it's being transferred locally without needing to go to a third party market maker exchange right so exactly like that it doesn't you know there's no affecting the price of execution whether it is full shares or fractions of shares chalo theek hai great so that's folks that is it wrap on the first part the first half of our follow up episode with swasik of Investor. When we come back, we are going to talk to more about diversification opportunities for all of you, and we we'll talk about how Investor works, right? Because I think for those of you who don't know what Investor is about, you want to ask the the relevant questions out there. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on this episode of Pesa Vesa. My guest Swastik Nigam, Swastik Nigam, sorry, founder and CEO at Investor. And welcome back to this episode of Pesa Vesa. My guest Swasik Nigam, founder and CEO at Winvesta. Swasik, let's go straight away into the second half, right? Let's talk about diversification. You spoke in the first half about how people thought that US is probably a little bit frothy and toppy or whatever, and now they're looking at other regions. So, do you actually see any regional diversification happening? If yes, then what markets are we talking about? Is it like emerging markets, LATAM? whatever it is you know so first there is geography and then there is asset class we touched upon it in a little bit of you know we passed on that in the first half let's go a little bit more into detail as to what you're seeing now so that our listeners can get it get an idea about diversification and you know what you're a big fan of democratization sure so in terms of the securities for diversification as of right now if we don't yet see a great a very large number of customers looking at these emerging markets but i think that is you know that's at the bottom of the table but the fact that it exists at all is exciting it's interesting right people are starting to see new markets right brics was of course as is a well known anagram and you see interest in brazil you see a clear interest in china of course amongst that in that geography but 
you know, we aren't really speaking of China as an emerging market any longer. Um, but and the others, at the other end, you've got countries like Mexico, uh, Southeast Asia, you've got Malaysia, and you've got a large number of iShares investments, iShares funds, which are BlackRock funds, which track the MSCI index linked to that country, right? So for Brazil, for example, it's EWZ, right? Uh, that is a fund that we've got in terms of uh, Malaysia, for example, it was, I believe, EWM. So you have all of these sectoral themes. And yes, they started gaining a certain presence, but they're still not possible in the top 20, right? Okay. As I think okay. And I think that's also because there are so many of them that individual investors are you know, not yet wholly channeled into looking at a particular country yet, right? Mm-hmm. It's where it's just about the start of the thing. But at the second and the other side, you know, you've got, like we mentioned, these are the themes like the ARK Innovation Fund. Right, Cathie Woods Fund, it's done extremely well. We are now starting to discover that, you know, starting to be part of understanding that narrative about this innovation ETFs. We have known a lot of the underlying companies for a while, but you know, just like all these particular companies that we mentioned, whether it's a NEO and uh, the electric mobility piece, right? They're all part of the ARC Innovation ETF where we see a lot of, lot of interest in. There are other specific ones like FinTech, right? There's uh, the Global X FinTech ETF is one of the top you know, 15 ETFs now. And, and that's because of a very large number of IPOs which fintech's been having, whether it's an app firm, you know, Square, so on as well, in the recent past too. Mm. Um, so you see that, that those are particular themes which have uh, started capturing the imagination here in India and, uh, and is gaining more and more interest. One of the things is, of course, there's no corollary to those themes domestically, right, in a fund structure. So whether it is something like a, you know, a lithium and battery tech ETF, right? That's again another top 15 one, but we've got no domestic EV or battery focused kind of exposure to get into. Um, yeah, so these are, I Very think, interesting. Yeah. Then the first half we spoke about FIC, right? Apna, when, you know, we used to be in institutional stuff, yeah. there's what is called FIC is fixed yeah. income currency commodity. But I want to talk to you about two um, asset classes, which I, I think you had mentioned some of this back when we were recording in July, um, real estate and startups. I like, you know, I kind of think that both have sort of similarities, but any interest there either directly, indirectly, through ETF, through other means, any interest coming in on on these two? Because, you know, um, real estate is kind of totally under the radar. I was reading some, I mean, US real estate is hot. Uh, yeah. res- residential has just shot up. I don't know what the scene is, is in uh, in Europe, but any any anything there? Real estate, startups? Yeah. So I think let me touch on startups first, right? And this is the entire SPAC phenomena. Ah, so because yes. of these blank check companies, and really then it becomes, hey, who is the creator of the SPAC, for example, right? Um, so as some of you know your listeners might have heard of, you've got Kamath Palihapitiya, who has been this ex-Facebook, uh, you know, one of the first business heads at Facebook who went on is now a celebrity. He was also part of the whole GameStop phenomenon. He's been he's been one of the SPAC kings, for lack of a better term. He's been creating more and more SPACs, and we got a large number of them on our platform. People are blindly, uh, not blindly, but people are blind to what the end investments in those SPACs will be right now. But they clearly see that 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 is one thing that they want to be a part of, and that's a that's a proxy into you know startups who are looking to now you know list. Uh, may, they may not be really startups because they would all possibly be unicorns, but the same way it's one proxy of getting in. Um, the other part, I think, is uh, just before I get into the real estate part, just touching on the startups 
we see a great amount of interest for companies that are IPOing just as mm. soon as they IPO, right? So whether it was a Palantir, which then IPOed, it was an app firm, it was an Airbnb, you know, people were in fact sending and remitting money so that they could participate in the listing as soon as it happened. Wow. Um, so you're saying, okay, because they can't participate in the IPO, you're saying? Exactly. exactly. Because ah. they can't participate in the IPO. But these are still in our imagination startups, right? If you think of an Airbnb, it was like a startup still, right? Um, you know, we had a large gaming company that IPO'd about a week, week and a half ago called Roblox. And and there was, you know, sort of interest into a Roblox as well. The we Korean one, I think, yeah. So this is one is still the US. Oh, okay, um, okay. The platform... Uh, a bit like an Android or a, a Play Store and App Store, but just for gamers and and for users sure. and for gaming uh, and for gaming users. But um, so I think that that is a clear phenomena that we see. Hmm. The uh, you know we cover in fact at Investor our daily newsletter, which is which often covers the IPOing company that day itself, right? Uh, and uh, and so we see that this interest is quite heavily correlated with readers listening reading about it. It, it's a form of them to discover, you know, we, yeah. some are very, very clearly following the U.S. In the startup scene and some are not. Uh, so we see that that's one particular route. Okay. And uh, on the real estate, right? Yeah, uh, just hold, just Sorry. just hold. I mean, you know, Palantir, of course, you had said. I just want, you know, just, just one last bit on the SPACs part. Um, you do have a few of them listed, right? That's right. Okay. And... For us sitting here, when you invest in a SPAC, it's just as good as investing in a stock, right? Exactly. So the underlying vehicle is of no relevance to me. So it's like I'm just buying a stock and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. You're probably buying what is going to become a basket of stocks because Ah. a SPAC will be created to acquire a a set of companies with a particular theme. So like, you know, there was a SPAC in fact last week as well for Virgin Galactic, right? Right. Uh, So yeah, so, you know, that... It's possible that there'll be one major company in it, but the idea is that there will be a bit of a... a but a the way, I mean, the, the only basis of the only logic that you're buying it is who is setting it up. Like if it's a Chamath, then of course, you're just like blindly going to buy it or stuff like that. Okay, yeah. let's go to real estate and then, you know, let's move on to the remaining part of a podcast. What about real estate? Yeah, so I think on real estate, we aren't seeing as yet as much traction in terms of reads and so on. And I think the, the real phenomena is not got to do with people are actively looking to buy real estate, but just because some of these other sectors are performing ah. so well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And REITs are a high dividend kind of security, right? Yeah, and yeah. and right now, people are not really yet in a space where there's growth is far greater than value in terms of interest right now. And more and more stimulus the US keeps on adding, you know, the more, you'd say, distant uh, old value sort of tends to, to go away. Let's hope, you know, this time around, it's not going to be mortgage-backed securities. Okay, um, now let's get into Vinvesta. For our listeners who don't know about it, walk us through, you know, step-by-step processes, cost, front-end, back-end, etc., everything. Sure. Um, so, process is, you know, Vinvesta, we've sort of right now mobile-first product, right? You would download Vinvesta on the, in the Play Store or the App Store, and uh, you would literally go through the, uh, the whole onboarding on your mobile phone, you need a proof of ID, a proof of residence, which would be your PAN card, Aadhaar card. And we take a live video as well. You know, this is for biometric security to uh, to align with global anti-money laundering requirements, ensuring that we are capturing the customer's data as it should be, right? and to protect our clients particularly. Um, and you have to 
go through a, a necessary SEC disclosure, which is the details of you know, your investments and how, why you're making it, what's the source, et cetera, of your income is. Um, all of this takes about four or five minutes all in. And once you've submitted it, within 15 minutes, you can have your investor account ready up. So you know, then our, it goes to our compliance team. They will check all the details are correct and everything's fine. You know, uh, you don't pop up on a global sanctions list, for example, of some kind, you know, ready and behold, you've got your investor account ready. Yeah, we didn't want a Interpol red corner notice on you. Uh, what about fees and costing yeah. and stuff like that? Sure. Transaction so now, charges, everything. Yeah. So now, as soon as your account is ready, you can go ahead and remit, uh, right, to fund your account. You must remit and, and fund it before you can start investing. Ah, so hold. So you're saying that I first need to link, probably link my existing Indian bank account to the Winvestor account or do I need to open a new account somewhere or something? Or yeah. that's, that's all good? Yeah. So no, you don't need to link it or sort of open a new account, but you can literally just, you know, we've got detailed instructions. This is the beneficiary, which is your account details in the US that you need to send the money to. And, and that's it. You would then go to your bank, literally you'd log in using net banking or so on, add your international account as a beneficiary. Um, not all banks yet have yet made it digital, but a very large number have, and most of the popular ones have. So whether it's a, an ICICI, an HDFC, um, a, you know, Kota, uh, for example, IDFC first, most of these sort of big ones have now made it digital. So you would go ahead, add the beneficiary details, add your particular account number, in, and, and send the money, right? Um, now, the cost of this transaction is something to really bear in mind because based on the bank, it can be as little as 100 rupees or you know, even 2,000 rupees as a fixed cost. Separate to that is the cost of FX. And that FX cost can be somewhere with as little as 0.5% to you know, 15 to 2.5% as well. So those are a few things just to be mindful of. And if you have an RM, very frequently, you can speak to your RM to help you bring those costs down. Um, so that's the, the cost of that remittance. Once it is, you know, once your funds have landed in your brokerage account, you can then start and start investing in effect, mm -hmm. right? And our pricing over there is quite straightforward. Right now, it is you know three free transactions per month. After which, it's a flat one dollar fee. In the first month, we in fact give our clients ten free transactions. So you could literally build up your portfolio in the first month if you're a kind of a long-term investor and not really need to see it. You know, over a over a the first year, you've got about 43 uh, free transactions, right? Which is, which is a fair amount if you're kind of a long-term investor. And our $1 cost is just agnostic to size. Whether it is, you know, a $1,000 trade or a $10,000 trade, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's, our, that's the, the costs of, you know, investing. Okay. But you have to also bear the cost of, you know, repatriating proceeds, right? And at Investor, that's a fixed $10 cost in terms of the, the cost of remittance. And then, of course, your bank in India would may charge you a, a FX cost, right, in terms of converting the dollars to rupees back. Um, so those are the, the particular costs to remain in terms of the full life cycle of those funds. Sure. What about DMAT? Because do, you know, in my DMAT here in India, would I be seeing an Apple or a Tesla right next to my Reliance and TCS, or is that not going to happen? Yeah, no. So, like I mentioned, because the you know the custodian of these assets is different, so it stays like in the U.S. But 
So you wouldn't see it like in a singular DMAT account altogether because that's a very different structure than what you've got in India because your NSDS, CDSL kind of structures, right? Uh, so yeah, so that is still something which is based on two different regulatory authorities in the way they sort of work. Okay, but for me, I'm dealing with you and that's it. It's like Vinvesta has my stuff and that's... Okay, Um. so do you guys offer any research or any support to help me make my decisions or how does that work? Yeah, so we are a broker, right? And in that, we don't offer advice because advisory, as you know, in, in uh, we've got our own India regulations of SEBIIA and that's the one that must be providing advice, even including on overseas investments. Um, what we do offer is a, a few tools, right? And these tools, actually, we see more and more clients really liking. We provide you third-party analyst ratings, for example, right? Uh, using the third-party analyst ratings, you will be able to see how many uh, analysts are covering this particular stock, right? What percentage of them have got a buy, sell, and hold rating, for example. Right? So that is one particular tool that we have. We have integrated news. So with each stock, you'll sort of see what is most recent news linked to that, and, and you're able to do a little bit more due diligence on it. We've got a watch list, which sort of, you know, is uh, as a default that we provide so that, you know, you can actually start somewhere to start. Yeah. Um, to that, in fact, we're also now in the midst of creating other tools, which are slightly more technical trading as well, but not particularly in app because app, in-app experiences aren't that exciting. So which is, in fact, on, on the web where you can go ahead, sort of do your analytics and then just come in and on platform. Okay. Uh, um, so, yeah. Two, you know, so just one related question to this is, uh, how does the dollar pricing work out here uh, on buying, selling, selling, buying, whatever? I mean, is that something that is that that could be a concern for me or is it what the bank offers and that's it? That's just about it or how, how does that work? Uh, so you mean to say when you convert the money from... Yes, yes, yes. Like I'm going to, let's say that I'm good, that I want to buy, say, 75,000. That's roughly about a thousand dollars, right? Yeah. So. When, when when I place a transaction for that 75,000 on Vinvesta, is it the bank that's buying dollars for me and therefore I'm going to pay the bank that costing or it, does it work in a different manner? Yeah. And similarly like, while selling also. Yeah. So it works slightly differently because so the first thing you have to do even before you actually buy the stocks is fund your account in US dollars, right? So you would send your $1,000 from your bank to sit in your account at Vinvesta in, in the US. And over and above that, any buying and selling you do, just be linked inside that brokerage account. So your nice India bank account and rupees have got nothing to do with that. So out of that $1,000, if you decide to buy 100 of Amazon and then sell it at $110, it will just go and sit into and become you know, $1,010, for example, in your, in your brokerage account, just as cash. So that's how the buying and selling works. It's got nothing to do with conversion on a transactional basis back into rupees or so. It just okay. sits there in your brokerage account in dollars. Do you offer me any interest rate out there? Because I think the in, in the US, uh, there are some interest rates offered for cash lying idle at the brokerage or no? Yeah. So uh, on Vinvesta, we don't, you know, so there is no interest on the cash line in your account. And uh, it's, you know, sort of, uh, and that's, that is a portion of what allows us to really bring the costs of transactions down significantly as well. But we see that most of the clients are actually more and more interested in almost completely utilizing their, you know, their investment. There is a small requirement of just having a minimum cash requirement, which is as little as five dollars. Yeah, that's as little as that you that you need to keep as cash, and that's purely for the purpose that if you, you know, because we are not a, not just a zero cost structure, 
that in case you need to sell it, you should have a little amount to be able to pay for the brokerage where required. Yeah, I'm sold on, man. I'm telling you. And in fact, my next question is was going to be just that. Where do I make space for this? And where do you see this going, right? Because let's say that next 10 years, people are damn bullish on US, which actually they are, or even global equities or whatever. And you've got a new class of investors coming in India, discovering this huge new place that they can invest on. You know, So I'm just thinking, what is going to have to go away from my portfolio? Uh, first, you know, because diversification usually is kind of also a rebalancing, right? Like I'm someone who started off with 100% India and let's say 70 equity, 30 debt or whatever it is. And that's just local, local, local. I'm asking you two questions out of big picture. One, where is this trend going to go? And two, do you think that there will be some kind of rebalancing here in India? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's actually a very good question, right? And Anupam, you know, when I started out on the idea, a very frequent question in India had higher interest rates. You know, it's about three, two and a half years ago, sort of, right? When I sort of started on the idea. Uh, people like Kitta Taka return will get, right? What minimum return will I get if I invest <laughs> in the US? And for, I mean, Very from, typical question, yeah. Exactly, right? And coming from, like, I lived in London and I, of course, the US was also in a very, very low interest rate environment where the risk-free rate was literally zero, right? I mean, the cash sitting in the bank is going to do nothing for you, right, over there. So, unfortunately, my 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 most frequent answer was, sorry, you know, I, I can't give you an answer because it is, after all, a risky asset, <laughs> right? <laughs> You should tell but, these guys, why don't you go to Europe and open a bank account out there? You'll have to pay them to hold your money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sorry, man. I couldn't help that. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's exactly the, the narrative that we sort of started out in the early days there. Sort of, and of course, the pandemic hit. And now people saw this super normal return compared to the domestic portfolios, right? And, uh, uh, and, and so now people are like, okay, this is clear that I must hold something because I'm missing out on these all, all these themes, right? And just the fact that the single index, whether it's the S&P 500 or NASDAQ, you sort of see, has done so well, has now made people discover all of those which are outperforming those particular funds, right? So like I mentioned, this levered ETN kind of thing is is a doubling down on that kind of bet, right? Um, so now to your question, how do we see this trend playing out? I think clearly people are saying, I must keep some portion of investment. And we see that in the increasing account sizes. We see that in the access to these various investment themes. Uh, what will give way, right? Uh, now, that's always a bit of a difficult question. I think one thing that is a singular trend is more and more people are moving towards the financialization of their assets. So as more and more people move out of real assets into financial assets, then they start diversifying those financial assets that they discover international investors. The second part is that interest rates in India, of course, have been falling. So people now want to be having their money work harder and they see that this form is one way in which at the very least the risk is mitigated as well through diversification naturally and you're able to get some some other returns. A third part to this, if I can just add, is that yeah. you know, we've of course been seeing increasing wealth, right? And now that's one of those requirements that in fact the wealthier you are, the greater your need to diversify, right? Because then the single asset or single country risk radically increases the volatility of your wealth, right? So if you want to start preserving it, that diversification must come through. And yes, the liberalized remittance scheme has got this $250,000 per head per year, but more and more people will be utilizing more and more of that LRS as well, right? In terms of just clearly diversifying their wealth out. And that could be for a particular purpose as well, right? You want to send your kids overseas because now the wealthier are, you know, are more able to afford international. No, it's a trend. It's a total trend. Yeah, yeah I agree. So yeah, I see 
these are the particular ways in which something is going to give way and, and people moving more towards financialization of assets as well. You don't want to take a guess as to what might just take a hit out here in India in terms of local assets? I think, you know, particularly, honestly, I have a feeling that, and generally speaking, savings accounts, right, and ah. not really doing that well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so whether that money firstly goes into the Indian stock market and then into the international stock market, I think would be one, yeah. one thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's one of the clear things because fixed deposits still, there is a little bit of an interest and there's a little bit of, you could say, just pedigree for fixed deposits being long-term you know, investments and people thinking, okay, must have something right? So there was just one question um, that I completely for, I mean, I it's, it was there in my notes somewhere, but I have no idea where it went off. So what about taxation? How does that work for Indians out here? Sure. So taxation is, so let, let's touch on the US portion first, and then I can discuss on India, right? Uh, in the US, non-resident aliens, right? That's a, that's a term that basically, aliens. that's the term that they use, non-resident <laughs> aliens, right? Uh, okay. And a non-resident, yeah. Uh, so the term sort of includes a person who is not a U.S. citizen, who is not resident in the U.S. under a, a visa of a residency yeah. form or a green. This is planet Earth, I guess. Sorry, man. Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, so that's the so if you're and, and if you're a resident in India and you don't have a U.S. passport and you're not a green card holder, you sort of get classified as a non-resident, right? So now for, so basically if you're overseas, you don't need to pay uh, US capital gains taxes. So you've got no capital gains taxes to pay on your investments there. On dividends, you have to pay a withholding tax. That withholding tax is 25%. So you know, if you get a dollar, you pay 25 cents off. However, that dividend can be claimed under a double taxation avoidance agreement between the India and US. So, and that would sort of come under your ordinary income that you'd need to declare it over in India. Um, on in India, like let's just touch upon the taxes in India. You have long-term capital gains tax, and if I remember correctly, currently, so that requires minimum two-year holding. After which, it's a twenty percent long-term capital gains tax. But you have the benefit of indexation on that. So whatever the depreciation, the rupee versus you know uh, the US dollar comes through into that indexation. The second part is um, in terms of the short-term capital gains, capital gains is treated just like your ordinary income as well. So those are, in fact, I sometimes think that the overseas investing theme is far simpler to understand than it is, you know, a lot of the various schemes in India that you'd have, you'd have yes. for taxation. Yes. I can't understand that. Honestly, there is just, you know, this infographic of this, that and asset and uh, don't get me started on that. Yeah. But hey, Swastik, thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks uh, for doing this for our listeners. Folks, that's a wrap on this episode. Of Pesa Pesa, my guest was Singham, founder and CEO at Winvesta. That's what the app is called W I N V E S T A, Winvesta. Uh, Swasik, it's on Android and Apple, right? That's right. Okay, go, go ahead, check it out, download it. You can go on the website, you can reach out. Uh, Swasik, how can guys, uh, how can our listeners reach out to you? What's the best way? Yeah, so, you know, if you're on Twitter, my DMs are open. In fact, you know, you want to write into me, it's, it's swastik at winvesta.in. Um, and, you know, if you prefer LinkedIn, you can just add me on LinkedIn. Uh, any of the, the ways work. Sure. And maybe we can bump into some listeners on our next Clubhouse group. So, folks, that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest, Swastik Thingham, founder. And see you at Windows Swastik. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Anupam. And thank you once again. Thank you, Swastik. And listeners, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on IBM Network. 
you can listen to us on the ivm podcast app or ivmpodcast.com ivm podcast is also doing some great stuff on youtube yeah do check that out and subscribe to the ivm podcast youtube channel you can also follow us on our social media we are ivm podcast on twitter and instagram if you want to reach out to me i am your host anupam gupta p50 on twitter thank you so much for listening to paisa paisa No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.